Today we continue our verse-by-verse journey through the book of James. We've called this Everyday Faith because, as the tagline says, uh, spiritual growth happens daily, but not just in a day. It's following Jesus, just the regular, recurring things of life. And James talks about a lot of things, but they're just everyday things that make a difference. So let me invite you to get your listening guide uh, that maybe you saw online at fcborough.church. You printed it. If you're at home, you still got time to run to your printer and print it. Uversion app is also accessible, and that has our outline on it as well. In a couple of weeks, we are considering resuming some printed materials and be out in the lobby for you to pick up as you come in. But today you'll find that online. And uh, let's consider what James has to say as we look in chapter 1 about obeying God's Word. Chapter 1 has been a great journey thus far. He talked about how do you overcome and uh, find uh, wisdom during trials or temptations. And now he talks about how you need to be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer only. Let's read James chapter 1 and uh, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless." Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James talks about obeying God's Word, how to be a doer of God's Word and not just a hearer only. Have you heard the old story of when a doctor and a lawyer and a preacher all went deer hunting together? And they're out there in their places, and all of a sudden this huge buck walks out into the middle of the field. That's how you know it's not a true story, because no big buck ever did that, did he? But he walks out in the middle of the field, and all at once, all three men shoot, and they fire, and the buck falls over dead. And they all run out there, and the doctor says, it's my bullet that killed him. The lawyer says, no, it was mine, or I'll take you to court. And the preacher says, no, it's mine, or I'll quit praying for you. (laughs) And And a ranger comes into the field. And they say, please, uh, as, a, as a ranger, tell us which one of us killed this big buck. And the ranger looked at it, and he can say, I can tell definitively that it was the preacher who killed this buck. And they say, how do you know? He said, well, look, the, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I know you've heard that before, but uh, uh, isn't it a trouble? Isn't it a challenge? People come to church week after week, and so often it's like God's truth goes in one ear and out the other. James says that's what it means to be a hearer of the Word, but not a doer of the Word. You hear the truth, you know the truth, but do you do 
the truth. Be, be a doer of the Word. So here in chapter 1, he's talking about being a doer, obeying God's Word. Here's the main thing to know for the message of what James is talking about here in chapter 1. It's phrased as a question. Do you really believe the Bible if you don't obey the Bible? Can I, can I really say that I believe the Bible if I don't obey the Bible? How, how can we go on this notion, we say we believe the Bible, but yet we don't obey the Bible? So that's the main question. Do, do I really believe the Bible if I don't obey the Bible? And there's this, this tension James is talking about here in chapter 1 between being, being a doer of the Word or just being a hearer of the Word. Is it going in one ear and out, out the other? See, the problem with many Christians today is not that we haven't heard the Word. It's not that we don't understand the Word. It's not that we can't quote the Word. It's not that we don't know the Word. The problem in many Christians' lives today is that we've heard the Word. We're just not doing the Word. And James shows us three ways that you can be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer only. Verse 25 is a crucial verse in this final paragraph where he describes how you can be a doer obeying God's Word and not just a hearer. The first way he describes is you must look to God's Word. If you want to be a doer and obey God's Word, look to it. Notice in verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. You've you got to spend time looking to it. You've got to open your Bible. You've got to, it, it talks about don't just be a hearer, but you, you must be a hearer at least initially. That's why in verse 19, he says, Let, make sure every man is swift to hear. Make sure you're hearing God's word, but just don't let it stop there. You need to be hearing it. James is saying, don't be a hearer of the Word. He's not saying that. He's saying, just don't be a hearer only. Be swift to hear. Listen to God's Word. Look to God's Word, as verse 25 says, then you will be a hearer. But not just a hearer only, also a, a doer. God's Word to you today is what you find in the Bible. The Bible is God's Word. We, we, we don't have Elijah roaming the earth anymore speaking the Word of the Lord. Jesus is now ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father, so he's not physically walking this earth. And the greatest revelation of the heart and the mind and the will of God is what you find written on the pages of the Word of God. So the Bible is God's Word for you. And James describes it in two ways here in these, this, this paragraph. He says God's Word, in verse 21, is the implanted Word. The implanted Word. James was one of the first books written in the New Testament days, probably written between 40 and 40 A.D., uh, not too long after Jesus' death and resurrection, long before the Gospels were written. And, G and James never quotes Jesus directly, but you have a lot of Jesus' stories and illustrations that, that pop up in the book of James. And this idea of the Word being an implanted Word harkens back to the famous parable that Jesus told. He said, a, a sower went out to sow seeds. Do you all remember that story from Jesus? And he cast a seed on Some fell on hard soil, some fell on thorny soil, and, and some fell on this bad soil. But some fell on the good soil, and the, the seed took root. And Jesus said the, 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 the seed, that's the truth, the gospel, the word of God. And so James says, you received this seed, it was implanted into your heart. 
This is something God put there in his sovereign, divine, saving grace. God gave you his truth. God implanted his word. Notice in verse uh, uh, 21, it says, It is the implanted word which is able to save your souls. A cross-reference for that is uh, Romans 10, 17, where the Apostle Paul says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is the implanted Word, like, like the seed that fell on good soil from the teaching of Jesus. So God's sovereign divine grace has been implanted into your heart. That means you didn't save yourself. God implanted that. He engrafted you, and now you belong to Him. It's the implanted Word. A second illustration James used we find in verse 25. He calls it the perfect word. His phrase is, you must look into the perfect law of liberty. We first find God's word being called perfect way back in the Old Testament, about a thousand years before James ever lived. God's people, the psalmists, were already calling, and even in the book of Proverbs, were calling his word, his law, the perfect law of liberty. And so we know the Bible we hold in our hands today, it is God's word, and it is his perfect word. And the fact that it is perfect means it gives us the truth. It tells us what is right. It tells us what is wrong. It tells us how to know God and how to serve God. It is the eternal, never-changing, unshakable word of God. What the Bible says is true will always be true. And what the Bible says is false is always going to be false. And what the Bible says is right will always be right. And what the Bible says is wrong will always be wrong. It is the perfect, unchanging, unmovable, unshakable Word of God. It is engrafted and planted into our hearts and souls. It saves us by the hearing of the Word. And it is God's perfect revelation to us other than the living, breathing Lord Jesus Himself. And we live in a day and time when people, when the goalposts are being moved about this issue or that issue, but we stand rock solidly upon God's unchanging, unshakable Word. And it doesn't matter what Hollywood tries to tell us. It doesn't matter what politicians try to tell us. It doesn't matter what some pseudo-intellectual liberal professor tries to tell us. It doesn't matter what the shifting sands and landscape of moralism tries to tell us. We say God's Word is unchanging. God's Word is unshakable. And if you want to know the heart and the mind and the will of God, you're going to find it written clearly in the Word of God. It is the implanted Word, the perfect law of liberty, and if you want to be a doer of the Word, you've got to, verse 25 says, look into the perfect law of liberty. R.C. Sproul has become a mentor of my mind through his writings in recent days. He passed away uh, in recent days. But in one of his pieces, he said, what kind of God would reveal his love and redemption in terms so technical and concepts so profound that only an elite core of professional scholars could understand them. R.C. Sproul's teaching us, and rightly so, that you don't have to be some super scholastic theologian. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and he will teach you. God's Word is understandable. God's Word is clear. It's not mystical. What does that mean? If you look to the perfect law of liberty, you'll know how to do His Word. It's not unclear. It's not confusing. It's not complicated. Don't just be a hearer of the Word. Look to it and be a doer of the Word. God will guide you. God will lead you. God will instruct you. God will direct you, but you got to look to His Word. He won't send His will falling out of the sky. You're going to find it written on the pages of Holy Scripture. Look to the perfect law of liberty 
is what verse 25 tells us. Let me give you three examples of how you look to the Word. These aren't the only ways, but just to illustrate what James means when he says, look into the perfect law of liberty to be a doer of the Word. One example is in your decision-making. When you're making decisions in life, are you looking to God's Word? It might be a financial decision. You know, trying to buy a new house. Should you buy that house? You know, what are the financial rates? You know, should it be 30-year mortgage, 15-year mortgage, any kind of financial decision? Well, as you make that financial decision, are you just basing it on your income? Are you basing it on what God's Word has to say? Or let's say you're deciding, if you're a college student, thinking about changing your major. That happens often. You want to do this school, but you realize that's not your thing. Should you change your major? Well, have you looked to God's Word? What does it have to tell you? And maybe you're offered a new job. Should you take that new job? You know, here's some of the pluses, here's some of the minuses. But as you make that decision, are you looking to God's Word? In, in every part of your life. Because I would say, if you think there's some part of your life to which the Bible does not apply, you are either grossly mistaken or embarrassingly naive. Every decision you make can be directed by God's Word. So when James, verse 25, says, look to the perfect law of liberty... When you make your decisions about life and finances and family and job and careers, look to God's Word. It will guide you or direct you. It's the implanted Word. It is the perfect Word. A second illustration is in marriage. Make sure you're looking to God's Word in marriage. Now, God doesn't call everybody to be married. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as I was reading this morning, um, in my personal time with the Lord, uh, that being single is a gift from God, and maybe that's the giftedness God's given you. But maybe others, you say, that's not my gift. <laughs> and you're trying to decide, you know, this, this fellow or this, this woman you're dating, should you, you know, marry him, or is, is she the one you should marry? Well, probably number one, you've, you've already maybe Googled his name. Hopefully you've done that before the first date. <laughs> or you've done a background check. <laughs> Maybe he or she's passed the test of your friends. You're not sure if you want to introduce them to your parents. But if you decide, is she the one? Is he the one? Have you looked to God's Word? And when you get into marriage, are you letting God's Word direct and guide your marriage? Are you looking, verse 25 says, looking to the law of liberty. Here at First Baptist Church, we're fortunate. We have three nationally certified biblical counselors that are available to meet with you and your family, you individually, you and your spouse. And many of the meetings they have deal with family and marriage issues. And so we, we, we make that available at no cost to you. But our biblical counselors are going to point you to God's Word. They're not going to hypnotize you, make you get in touch with your inner self. They're going to say, well, here's, here's the Scriptures. How can you align your life with what we know God's will is? And oftentimes in marriage... The issues deal with is the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and is the wife honoring and respecting her husband as the church gives honor to Christ in all things. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5. 
The biggest problem Cynthia has with her husband is often, my wife Cynthia has with her husband, me, is often her husband struggles with loving her and serving her as Christ loves and serves the church. Name for me a problem in marriage. Name for me some issue that married people face that cannot be boiled down to either the husband is not loving and serving his wife as Christ loved the church or the wife is not honoring and respecting her husband as the church gives honor to Christ. The real problem is not about money. The real problem is not about communication. The real problem is not some adulterous affair. The problem is husbands aren't loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and wives aren't honoring and respecting their husbands as the church gives honor to Christ. Are we looking to the law of liberty? Are we looking to the Word in our decisions and in our marriages? A third example is what about in the cultural issues of the day? Are we looking to God's Word? What should you think about what's happening in the world today? It seems like the world is is just spiring out of control. But that didn't just start in the last year or two. You know that, don't you? That started at the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and the world has been, the wheels have been coming off the bus ever since then. So... what we're facing is not some new phenomenon. That's the old human heart. Look around the world. All the problems, all the tensions, all the divisions we see are driven by a heart that's desperately wicked, and it got that way in the Garden of Eden, and it's been that way ever since. But what should you think about refugees and immigration? That's a touchy issue. Who should you vote for? Joe Biden, Donald Trump, or some other person? There's a lot of opinions out there, aren't there? What should you think when you see protesters in the streets and there's cries about injustice and and racial reconciliation and inequality? What should you think about transgendered issues and should you use he or she for somebody whose biological birth gender doesn't match how they identify today and and so-called same-sex marriages? How should you think about that? Are you looking to God's Word. Don't form your opinions from Fox News. Don't form your opinion, opinion from Drudge Report. Don't be driven by your emotions. May we as God's people say, we're going to be doers of the Word. We're going to look to God's Word, and we're going to make our choices and our decisions and our reactions because we're thinking biblically from the implanted, perfect Word of God. So James says, if you want to be a doer of the Word... You must look to God's Word. And these are just three examples of how that happens. The second way you can be a doer of God's Word is you must linger in God's Word. Don't just look at it, be one and done and and over. Linger on it. You, You read God's Word, and you know what starts to happen? It starts to read you. Have you ever noticed that? You read it, and all of a sudden it starts reading you. You feel like you, get, you, you got a hold of the Bible, pretty soon it gets a hold of you. You pour yourself into it, and all of a sudden it's pouring itself into you. Don't just look at it. That's where you start. You look at God's Word, and then you must linger in it. James gives an illustration of that, verses 23 and 24. If anyone is a hearer of the Word only and not a doer, he's like this man, this fella, and that's the John Waters southern Georgia translation, like this fella looking at his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and then goes away, and immediately 
he forgets what kind of man he was. He looked at the word, but it went in one ear and out the other. He saw the truth, but he immediately forgot it. That's a whole nother sermon (laughs) in and of itself right there, that people will, they hear the truth, they look at it, but they don't linger in it. They don't grab a hold of it, so we won't grab a hold of them. Notice in verse 25, James says, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. See that? You look at it and you continue in it. That's a curious expression where James, the brother of Jesus, tells us to to continue. I'm using the word linger. Linger, continue in it. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 6, he's telling, he, he hopes to come see him. He's been there before. He says, I hope to come there and, and remain for the winter. You can cross-check me, 1 Corinthians 16, 6. I want to remain there in the winter. And when Paul the Apostle said he wants to remain with him in the winter, that's the identical word James is using when he says you need to continue in it remain in it. The word technically means, the word continue there in verse 25, means to remain alongside. To come alongside and remain alongside. Similar to that, if you've ever had anybody come over to your house at a time of death, just to be with you. That's the concept, to, to remain. And so we not only need to look at God's Word, but linger, remain with it. Do you remember that wonderful teaching of Jesus in John chapter 15? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Wonderful, powerful story. And then in verse 4 of John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can you unless you abide in me. And what's interesting is when Jesus told his disciples, Abide in me, and my words abide in you, and you abide in me, and I abide in you. Remember, there's a lot of Jesus in the book of James. The same root word that that James uses to say continue is the the same root word Jesus is using when he says abide in me. James is is linking back to the teachings about abiding in Christ. And so if you want to abide in Christ, if you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to grow deeper in Jesus Christ, if you want to abide in Him and Him and you, James says you've got to continue in His Word. That's how you abide in Christ. You look to God's Word and you linger there in it. You get a hold of it and it gets a hold of you. It doesn't go in one ear and then out the other. I've shared before the wonderful results of the study from uh, the Center of Bible Engagement uh, uh, here in the United States. Uh, They talked about what makes people grow closer to Jesus. That's a great question. Coming to church, being baptized, reading the Bible, teaching, leading, going on a mission trip. What is it? that produces spiritual growth in people's lives. It's a fascinating study. They studied tens of thousands of people around the world. People here in North America, people in Africa, people in Europe, people in South America, people all over the world, people in Asia. They studied Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Catholics, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, men, women, young people, old people. They ran the gamut, and they decided there was one single indicator that was head and shoulders above everything else. They called it a predictor. That if this predictor were in your life, the odds would be 
you would be growing closer to Jesus. And the predictor they found after studying people was not the denomination, that didn't matter. It wasn't whether you're male or female or whether you're an American, an Asian, an African, a European. The single predictor was those who read their Bibles on a daily basis are more likely to be growing closer to Jesus. And those who don't, most likely, are not. Church attendance is important. Hear me say that, yes. <laughs> Going on mission trips are great. Yes, you ought to do that. But the single greatest predictor in your life and in my life, and it's not a guarantee, it's a predictor. The single greatest predictor of everybody in this room is if you're reading your Bible at home on a regular daily basis, the odds are you're more likely to be growing closer to Jesus. But if you're not doing that at home, most likely you are not growing closer to Jesus. And guess what? Reading your Bible at home is something everybody can do. <laughs> you don't have to go to seminary to learn how to do this. Everybody can do this. I, I, I keep on hand some simple Bible reading guides I make available to people just as a starting place. And I know, having pastored lots of churches over 30 years, that regular Bible reading at home is not the habit of many, many church members. Some people come to church every single Sunday, but they aren't reading their Bible at home. And so, don't worry, I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to lift you up. No, don't worry. So if you'll send me a note, a text, or something, I'll send you these simple Bible reading plans that'll get you, it's a, it's a place to start. My email address is john at fbc-statesboro.org. Our staff who's running the live stream. Y'all put that on the notes for our live stream audience. My, my cell phone number, you can put that out there too, is 912-536-5886. Send me a text and put that on live stream as well. And, and I'll, I'll send this back to you or call me or catch me in the hallway because this is something you can do. And I want you to do it. And what I'll send you is just some Simple Bible reading plans, 10 days on this, 14 days on that, take you five or six minutes. It's a beginning point. It's a beginning point. And so if you're like many people who don't have the habit of reading your Bible at home, the, these are just good places to begin. Because the single greatest predictor is are you looking to God's Word and then lingering in it, reading it and letting it read you. Well, James tells us a third way to be a doer of God's Word. You should not only look to God's Word and linger in God's Word, but you must also live God's Word. That's why he means in verse 25, don't be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. <laughs> if you're going to live God's Word, there's some things you've got to do. <laughs> Being a doer of the Word doesn't mean you go to some mountain monastery and you spend three years memorizing the book of Leviticus. <laughs> That's not being a doer of the Word. You do the work. You get involved in the grit and the grime of people's lives, living a godly, holy, surrendered life. You, you look to God's Word, you linger in it, and then you start to live it day by day in the grit and grime of everyday life. You, be a, you become a doer of his word. In, in verses 26 and 27, James gives three examples of how you are a doer. First, he says, if, if you're religious, meaning if you're going to be a doer of God's word, and you don't bridle your tongue, don't kid yourself. He says, a doer of the word, you live God's word. One way is you bridle your tongue. Here's a thought. 
You show spiritual maturity, not because you pop off at everything everybody says, but you bridle your tongue. You show some discernment. Sometimes you don't respond at all. How much heartache could people solve if they thought they didn't have to give opinion on everything they see out there, and instead they just bridle their tongue? In James chapter 3, I'm going to preach on two or three weeks from now, he talks about taming the tongue. That would be a fun sermon. Come with your steel-toed boots that day where he says, tame the tongue. (laughs) A second example of living the Word is, verse 27, you visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Orphans and widows are not inconveniences. That's the way you live out the Word. People who are in trouble. People who are in need. And then he says the third example is you keep unspotted from the world. We live in the world, but the world's not supposed to live in us. <laughs> and you, you live God's Word because you're unspotted. So he gives these three practical illustrations of how you live. You, you look to God's Word, you linger in it, and then you live it in these kinds of ways. One of the Puritan authors I read regularly is a uh, fellow named Thomas Brooks. Wrote a great book about uh, the bruised reed. Uh, but in one of his writings... Brooks talked about Judas and how there's a lot of people sitting in pews today. Of course, he wrote in the 1600s, but it's amazing how relevant the Puritan writings are. He said, a lot of people sitting in churches act just like Judas. He said, Judas called Christ Lord, yet betrayed him. How many Judases kiss Christ, yet still betray him? In their words, they profess him. In their works, deny him. They bow their knees to him, and yet in their hearts despise him. They call him Jesus and obey him not as Lord. He also said this, It is not the knowing, talking, and reading man, but the doing man, the the doer of the word, that will be found the happiest man. Not, Not the reading man, but the doing man. I think the old Puritan fella got it right. I really like his, his, his attire. I, I might try that one day. <laughs> but, but he got it right. How many Judases are sitting in church buildings all across the country will we'll kiss Jesus, but yet will betray him. We'll, we'll kiss him on Sunday morning, but Friday night we betrayed him. We'll profess him with our lips, but we'll deny him with our life. We'll bow the knee to him, but we will not bow and surrender our hearts because my life is my own. But yet the Bible says you've been bought with a price. And we forget that joy and peace and purpose, godliness, holiness, righteousness comes from surrendering to Jesus where you're not just a hearer of the word, but you're a doer of the word. It is the doing man that finds the peace and the joy of a surrendered, fulfilled life. Examine your heart and your life today. Are you a hearer only? Or are you also a doer of the word? As James says here in this wonderful final paragraph of chapter 1, be not hearers only, verse 22, because then you're just deceiving yourself. You're not kidding anybody else (laughs) but yourself. And if if, if you were to wholly and fully surrender and live out God's Word 
to be a doer and not a hearer only, what might that look like in your life, in your family, your finances, in your work attitude? What might that look like in your, your relationships? What would have to change and what would stay the same? What would be different? What would you start? What would you stop if you fully and wholly and completely surrendered your life to be a doer of God's Word under the Lordship of Jesus? It was Henry Varley in Britain who spoke the famous words to D.L. Moody and said, the world has yet to see, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Go back to your schools. Go back to your homes. Go back to your businesses. Go back to your neighborhoods. Be wholly and completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Live out His Word each and every day and each and every day because the world has not seen. Statesboro, Georgia has not seen. The campus of Georgia Southern University has not seen. Your office place has not seen. Your family, your community, this church has not seen what God would do with and for and through and in men and women and school teachers and construction workers and college students and high schoolers who are wholly and fully surrendered unto Him. Don't just be a doer of the Word. Don't, don't be a hearer of the Word. Be a doer only. Look at God's Word. Linger in God's Word. And by God's grace, live God's Word each and every day to the glory of God and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why would we do anything less. Be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer only. Because can you really say you believe the Bible if you don't obey the Bible? Now let's pray together. Help us, Father, to know how we every day can live out your Word in our conversations, our choices, our attitudes, at work, at home. May we be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, Thank you again for joining our live stream this morning. I'd like for you to know that as we wrap up the service inside, you too can make a commitment to follow Jesus by going to fbcborough.church. There you'll be able to let us know that you've made a decision or maybe you're just interested in the programs and activities that we have to offer. Thanks again for joining us today at First Baptist Church and we look forward to walking alongside this journey with you.